Hey everyone, this is Andre. Uh, Jacob is in Kansas City right now and I'm on vacation, but I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of Jacob and I. Uh, I just finished editing this Highlights podcast that you're about to listen to. It's kind of a mishmash of the best of what we've done so far. And Jacob and I are really thankful for every one of you that listens. Uh, every one of the listeners that we have makes it just that much more fulfilling for us to do this. It's something we love to do and then knowing that people actually listen to it makes it even better. So... I'm going to throw you to an ad real quick, and then I will send you into the podcast. Thank you, guys. First, a quick disclosure. I'm doing something different again today. In the next few days, we're going to be doing something new here at Hacker Slacker. Hey, guys, something different again today. We're going to talk about the Apple event today and all the stuff we saw. Yeah, so the event today ended up being much shorter than we expected. There was mostly just the three new iPhones and then the Apple Watch. Yeah, almost disappointingly short. I was really hoping that we'd get either an AirPods refresh or an iPad refresh, but hopefully maybe at WWDC we'll get one of those. Yeah, and I also think that they might be doing an iPad event in in October, maybe Mm -hmm. later this year, alongside the new Macs, hopefully. So hopefully we'll see that refresh this year because the iPad Pro kind of needs an upgrade. Hey everyone, it's Andre. Um, Just right before the podcast starts up, I wanted to mention that today is Thursday, so today this morning um, Apple announced that they're going to be having an iPad event that will be going on at the end of the month, October 30th. We wanted to make some predictions about what we think um, will be happening at the iPad event next week, which we will make our main topic uh, for the pod next week. Yeah, that's going to be a big one. I like doing the predictions because it's kind of like putting all of this knowledge that we get <clears throat> from uh, like watching the tech news and just kind of our intuition about these companies to the test. Like We can kind of give ourselves a little report on like how we're doing and keeping in touch with Apple and that kind of thing. Absolutely. You want to go first? Sure. So it is an iPad event. So I'll talk about the two iPads that I think they'll be releasing. Um, from what I've seen... Uh, it looks like they're going to be releasing the iPad Mini 5 and a new iPad Pro. So we can kind of talk about both of those because I think we're, uh, we both agree that those would be the two iPads that they would re- be releasing. Yeah, I agree too. Um, the Mini was something that I'm surprised it's gone as long as it has without an update. Mostly yeah. because of we see a lot of uses of that in enterprise solutions where it's yeah. like if you're at a restaurant, the server is not going to carry around a ten and a half inch iPad, they're gonna they want the mini. Yeah. So I use a mini four every day. Um I'm in marching band, so we use it for our music and our drill. We use it every single day. Uh we use a mini four and it just kind of feels old. Um so if they get uh this mini five right, I think it could be awesome if they have like nice screens, um smaller bezels. It would really make the whole mini experience feel a lot less mini. Yeah, those, uh, they were released a while, they were released in 2015, so they feel old because they are old, like, it's pretty much as old as this phone that I'm using now, um, but yeah, I was kind of questioning Apple's decision not to update those for so long, because it almost felt like they stopped updating them once they started releasing the bigger versions of the phone, right? So, it almost felt like they were saying, these phones are so close to the iPad mini size, like, we don't need these iPad minis anymore, but when you kind of just pay attention to the iPads that are used in 
businesses and a lot of use cases like that. Yeah. The iPad mini is just like the perfect size for something that you need to carry around, but you need to like be a display at the same time. It really is. It fits so perfectly in my hand. If it, if it perhaps has Apple pencil compatibility, uh, which they did with the new iPad, um, this past year, I think that could be really groundbreaking. Um, I really like the iPad mini. I'm assuming that it will be a lot like the iPhone 10, 10R, 10S, and 10S Max in which it has face ID and no home button, but uh, it seems like there will be bezels just as large as the iPhone 10 and 10S notch is, uh, but that doesn't necessarily look bad because then there's no notch on your iPad and you still get a, quite a large screen. I don't think those tiny bezels matter that much on a tablet compared to a phone yeah thinking about that um it, it really makes sense for it to be that way like to have a thin bezel but not completely edge to edge because a lot of the times when you're using the ipad like the way you grip it is by grabbing it on its side yeah whereas with the phone you can kind of wrap your hand around the back mm-hmm. so it'd be like um imagine like trying to grab your laptop screen with your hand like you just wouldn't do that because you would get your palm all over the screen and you'd be blocking stuff yeah so i think like an iPhone X notch amount of bezels or bezels might be like just the right amount of bezels to have on an iPad. Absolutely. Plus then you get all of the true depth camera system. You get face ID. Um, the iPads have kind of been groomed to be controlled by gestures since, I don't know, the second generation of iPad, uh, where you could use four fingers to move between apps or five to go home. You don't like, I'd never really use the home button when I'm using my iPad mini. Yeah. Um, the because only time I use my home button all the time now is for touch ID to like authenticate to yeah. fill in passwords. And but... then, then you put a face ID in there and it just works perfectly. Yep. And every time I'm touching that home button, it's propped up looking right at my face. So it can yeah. easily just skip that step of me touching it. So we've talked about this, I think one or two times before, maybe even last week, but face ID on an iPad just makes sense. Yeah. The, the laptops and the iPads, they definitely need face ID. Oh yeah. If... If the next MacBook refresh includes Face ID, I would be so happy. But we can talk about that later. Um, So you're calling that we'll get an iPad mini with pencil support and Face ID. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. I would think they'd probably do that because I'm sure they can. Yeah. So um, I would think we'd get that iPad mini maybe starting at $300. I'm not completely sure how much they would price it but $300 I think for an iPad mini would be a really good price yeah one thing I want to predict along with that is if the iPad mini is getting um the Apple pencil I bet we'll see a new generation new of Apple, Apple pencil. pencil yes I've heard when, when you look that. at the size of the Apple pencil it's like longer than the iPad mini is tall yeah um so I wouldn't be surprised to get a slightly smaller iPad pen or uh, Apple pencil um, I also wouldn't be surprised. I've heard this rumor that it's going to be uh, wirelessly connecting, kind of like an Apple Watch or AirPods are. Um, so it'll just use like the uh, is it the W1 chip yep. or W3 chip or whatever they're on at this point, uh, where it just wirelessly pairs, so you don't have to like plug it into the iPad. Interesting. Um, yeah. So that that'll be really interesting. Um, and then a new iPad Pro with essentially the same thing, where it's got the true depth camera. Uh, the small bezels, no home button, uh, maybe an OLED screen. Um, I bet we'll see an OLED screen on it. That's something I would definitely predict. Yeah. So, but I'm, I'm not sure. Can they do an OLED screen with Apple pencil? 
Oh, I guess we haven't seen that before. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about uh, kind of the different display technologies because, I mean, when you look at the OLED screens that are on the market right now, there's really nothing in that size. You know, you either have your smartphone OLED displays... Or like a TV. Or a TV, and those TV displays are super expensive. Oh, yeah. It's not like they just take these... Because, I mean, you got to think that the OLED displays they're putting in a $1,000 iPhone maybe cost 150 bucks. Yeah. You cannot buy a TV that's <laughs> OLED yeah. at that resolution for 150 bucks. So, I, I mean, I'm assuming that the supply chain, like if you Googled uh, what like Ming-Chi Kuo or like the other supply chain analysts say, I'm assuming they have some information on this. But I it makes you wonder like what kind of technology they can and cannot bring over to the OLED. Because I'm assuming yeah. it'll come to iPads eventually. Oh, I'm sure. I would like to see if maybe if they can't do the Apple Pencil with OLED yet, maybe the iPad Mini will get an OLED screen. And no and, Apple Pencil, yeah. And no Apple Pencil, and then maybe they'll put like the Liquid Retina on um, the iPad Pro, and yeah. then, which is still an LCD screen, but it is apparently pretty nice. Um, I haven't actually touched a 10R yet. Yeah, I haven't touched one either. When I was in the store... They were not yet on display because they were available for pre-order but not available for purchase. So Uh, my three hours that I spent at the Apple Store could not be used to evaluate (laughs) a new phone, sadly. But uh, yeah, when thinking about a new Apple Pencil, um, there's not really much functionally that I wish was better. Like the battery life, every couple weeks I get a notification that it's low. And then I just plug it into the bottom of my iPad while I'm doing something else. Pretty similar minutes. to just AirPods. Yeah, it's You it's don't sweet. worry about charging it. You just charge it when it needs it. It's a little bit more in, inconvenient than AirPods because the AirPods, um, the way they... Like if the Apple Pencil could charge while it was attached to the iPad somehow, that would be like the best case scenario. Kind of like how the Surface has a magnet thing on the side yeah. where the pencil attaches. If the iPad did that and it also charged it while I was there, that's like the best case scenario, because then you just never even think about it needing to charge. So what I've heard is that these new iPads could have a new magnetic part on the bottom of the backside, which might be able to be used for charging. I'm, That's kind of spitballing, but it would be interesting to see if they did that. Yeah, that would be sweet. They definitely, I mean, one of the biggest complaints about the pencils, there's no way to attach it to your iPad. Like, you just kind of let it roll off the desk a lot of times, which is a pain. Um, and that, and the weird way that it charges, but... The way that I've solved that is I just have this case where it has a little slot on it for the the Apple Pencil. I have, it's like the Logitech Slim Combo 2. It's a smart keyboard and Apple Pencil holder oh. and stand, so it's pretty cool. But yeah, I think we'll definitely see something interesting next week, and uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about, I'm assuming. So last week we made our predictions, and then the event happened on Tuesday. Honestly, I was kind of underwhelmed. Yeah, um... I think it happens to me pretty much every Apple event these days where I just get so excited thinking about all the possibilities of what could be on there, and then they launch like two or three things, and I end up wishing for the other two or three that I also wish they announced. Especially after the last iPhone event. The last iPhone event was really good. Um, It was missing AirPods, and so I thought, wow, this iPad event will have AirPods. We had pretty much said that would be the absolute... Like, lock in that bet. That's what they're going to announce. Yeah, that was one of the things I was most certain about was that they were going to do the AirPods with the Hey Siri. And the whole event, there was no AirPods. Tim Cook at the last second does the, we can't leave you, we have one more thing. And they bring out a musical guest instead of announcing another piece of hardware. Yeah. Which I thought was crazy. So, 
I don't know. I'm thinking perhaps, um, because we'll get to this later, um, but maybe the next AirPods will be USB-C charging, uh, and the next iPhone will be USB-C charging, and they're just waiting on that. Uh, but we'll have to wait for that. So let's go through our predictions, uh, because they announced less than what we predicted, but we did predict everything that was actually announced. So the first thing that we had guessed would happen was an iPad Mini 5, which unfortunately didn't happen. Yeah, um, this wasn't something that was super on my radar until I saw stuff about hardware leaks. Yeah. So people were predicting that, like, oh, they're manufacturing, like, this size screen, it's probably going to be an iPad Mini, and then somewhere or another that just never actually came to fruition. I really think with the new iPad uh, Pro, that kind of style for an iPad Mini would have been really nice. Well, what I thought was crazy was um, the iPad Mini is so old at this point that I thought it would be something that they would just kind of ignore in their lineup. Mm -hmm. But at the end, when they were summarizing their kind of current iPad lineup, they talked about the iPad Mini Four as one of the en as one of the entry level iPads. It's like I can't believe that yeah. they're still like putting that up front on stage. It's like, here's one of our options for you. Is that's it? three years old. The I know. Pro is brand new, and then the most recent iPad is a year old. So it's like they really maybe WWDC next uh, next year in June will have. A new release for the iPad Mini, but life goes on. Yeah, I'm not gonna get my hopes up for that one. Yeah, what they did announce was the iPad Pro. I am very excited about this. Yeah, so the iPad Pro, um, the way I would describe it is, it's kind of the um, bezel-less slate, uh, just a pure screen that it's always been working towards now. Yeah, it's if you took a MacBook Pro and you detached the screen from the keyboard what you were holding that screen would be the iPad Pro essentially with as much power as a MacBook. Yeah, so they um no longer have a top and bottom chin where the sides are skinnier than the top and bottom. It's just one uniform uh pretty thin bezel all the way around. Not as thin as iPhone 10, but thinner than what's currently on the sides of the iPad. And so it's just there's no real um wrong way to hold it because it's always oriented um with like the same bezel on each side. And they mm -hmm. made Face ID be able to work in whatever orientation you're holding it. Yeah, I really so the, appreciate it. Yeah, that. so the Face ID on the iPad, no matter how you pick it up, it'll just unlock for you. Mm -hmm. So it does have Face ID. Uh, it has the True Depth cameras. So it has all those sensors, and it learned how to read faces in every direction. Um, there is no uh, OLED screen that we had thought could happen. We assumed that's because of. Uh, no or no Apple Pencil support, so it does have the li Liquid Retina uh, LCD screen, which we had said they would probably do if the OLED couldn't support the Apple Pencil. Uh, so we were right on that account. Uh, speaking of the Apple Pencil, though, this new Apple Pencil is a huge upgrade. Yeah, so instead of being the normal spherical regular pencil that they have, there's kind of a flat side and it's a little thicker, mm -hmm. which is supposed to be more ergonomic, but the flat side is for attaching it to the side of the iPad. So you can magnet in and snap it on kind of like it works for the Surface Books. And it charges there as well. Yeah, except it charges, which unlike the Surface Books, which use like, I think, quadruple A batteries in their yeah. pens, which they're supposed to last a year, but it's still kind of nice that the iPad has like these advanced features and it lets you just kind of snap it on yeah. and keep it charging. And yeah. the other thing that they changed about the pencil is that um, there's a touch-sensitive area towards the bottom of it, so you can tap and double-tap for different actions. Um, one of the cool demos of that was that uh, in the Notes app, you can double tap to switch between the eraser and 
whatever you were currently using, that would allow you to erase a lot quicker. Yeah, that seemed like a really useful thing to have. Um, so we also talked about the possibility of the new iPad being USB-C, and they actually did it. Yeah, so I was surprised. Not only did they do USB-C, but they also did it um, for the purpose of connecting external devices. Yeah. Which I didn't really think that they would push. Like, there's pictures on their website of, like, look, plug your iPad directly into your camera. Like, if you're mm -hmm. a photographer, this can be for you. You can charge your phone with your iPad. Yeah. It was um, plugging it into the camera, charging your phone, and then, crazily enough, plugging it into a display. Yeah. So it was like, let me plug... I'm working um, in video editing on my iPad Pro. Let me plug in my 5K monitor and put the video up on there so I can see how it's working. Yeah. Which I thought was crazy, and I didn't really think that they went into enough detail on like how that works, because I would like to see... Because obviously it's not just mirroring, mm -hmm. which is right now the only way you can uh, use external displays is to duplicate your iPad's display onto that display. But they were showing her doing some editing on the iPad and viewing the video on the screen. Yeah, this iPad is so powerful. I think they compared it to the Xbox One S. Um, so really, it is insanely powerful for a tablet, which also means it can support an actual 5K display. Um, with the seven core is it seven core graphics processor yeah i don't know but yeah it's, it's crazy so they had it um they showed that it can support a 5k external display um and then it can also like run nba 2k 18 yeah. on basically console level graphics mm -hmm. and all of that in a package that's like extremely thin yeah so it's about exactly the size of a sheet of paper yeah um the 12-inch is almost exactly the size of the sheet of paper, which is significantly smaller than it used to be. And so, it's really thin, too. Yeah, with the 12-inch display, they just shrunk the bezels and kept the display the same size. But with the old 10.5-inch, um, they pushed the screen towards the edge of the size. So now it's an 11-inch display in the same body. Yeah. So one thing I am kind of worried about is this is so thin and so powerful I can only imagine it's going to heat up if you try to do too much on it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so, aluminum. These aluminum devices, yeah. they get super hot, but I think most people are usually using a case on it or something. Yeah. But if you're playing 2K, I'm assuming, yeah, it's going to heat up. It's it's going to heat up, and I'm not sure how well the battery will last, how big of a battery they can fit in a chassis yeah. that small. Um, but yeah, that'll be really interesting. One of the weird things was that they, round, they um, straightened out the edges so that you can actually uh -huh. set it just by itself vertically. Yeah, that was really interesting. I'm it's, not sure how yeah, it's useful no longer that is, curved but... on the side. And I don't know if that's for a usefulness thing or just an aesthetic thing. It kind of looks more like a pro device. Yeah, it really does look like the tablet version of a MacBook Pro. Yeah, it's got the same type of like sharp but still rounded edges. I was kind of wondering why do they keep a camera on it? For the front facing or the yeah or the rear facing camera because there's a camera bump now on an yeah, iPad. Yeah, the camera bump is crazy because on the iPad, like one of its main use cases is just laying flat on the table. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another like thing where you're seeing they're clearly expecting you to have a case on it. Yeah, because like with your iPhone and with these iPads now, if you have a case on it, it's not gonna rock when you have a camera bump. But uh, yeah, that's super annoying. Um, one of the things that they were pushing with the camera bump, or I mean with the iPad's camera is the AR capabilities. Yeah. Like, they're talking about how it's above, like, even most, like, uh, current laptops and how it can work for, like, AR production. Yeah. So do you want to talk about the Photoshop demo that they showed? Actually, I actually didn't get to see that. It. Okay, so they had, um, 
someone so someone from Adobe was on stage and they were showing the new version of Photoshop that they're bringing to iOS. So previously they had Photoshop Express, which is a, a handicapped version that didn't have like really the full features, but now they're porting the real Photoshop engine to iOS and it can do all the different layers and different actions that you could do before. And it's all set up to work with the Apple Pencil. So their demo was this lady who was making what looked like this forest. Um, it looked like she was editing a picture of a forest. So she kind of like brightens one of the flowers and then she zooms out and it shows that each individual flower in this entire like forest scene is its own layer. Oh man. And so she um, is editing this massive um, Photoshop file, a real Photoshop file that she could import to her laptop or from her laptop the same way she would do it. And then when she was done, she took it into another Adobe app where she displayed it in AR and each layer had um, uh, depth to it. So it was set up like a diorama and she could put like animated butterflies in the forest and she was moving the iPad around with the AR camera. That's kind of crazy. setting up like a almost a pop-up book type display with all the different layers that she had in Photoshop and it was something like thousands of different layers of flowers oh, and the iPad was able to handle it all with like its limited amount of RAM and everything. Yeah. So <clears throat> the iPad pro really, this new one really put the pro into it. Um, yeah, they're really going for it. I mean, getting Photoshop on stage saying like, look, you creatives, you can use this now. Like we're giving it the green light, full version of Photoshop go wild. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how many people can switch from using their laptops, which I mean, if you're buying a MacBook Pro, you can if you want that 15 inch screen, you can spend upward of like three thousand dollars on it. Oh yeah. Whereas if you're buying this iPad, it's a little over one thousand. Mm -hmm. So I'm just interested to see if we get people starting to switch over. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing, they took out the headphone jack. Um, I don't know if that's for continuity throughout all their mobile devices. Um, maybe I can't imagine they couldn't find a place for it, but they did take out the headphone jack on this device. Yeah, it seems pretty unnecessary just because there's so much space in an iPad, but I mean, I'm sure that they have some justification for it, if not just saying, like, we don't really support headphone jacks anymore except on our yeah. Macs. But they also, they do not sell um, their wired headphones with with uh, USB-C. Um, oh, yeah, so there's no way to so, plug in Apple headphones yeah, in your they, iPad. They do have a 3.5 millimeter to USB-C converter uh, dongle on the Apple Store website, um, but it'll run you like $9. That's kind of crazy. Just use AirPods. Yeah, just use AirPods, um, which we still wish they would have yeah. released. So the other thing that they changed is they added more magnetic contact points on the mm -hmm. back of the iPad that allow you to um, snap uh, cases into it. Yeah. So they're super skinny pad folio case. Um, with a keyboard built in is able to snap onto the back and then magnet the keyboard around to the front. Yeah. Which is pretty neat. Um, I really like that because the, the grill on the side looks really nice and I would hate to cover that up with, uh, all of any sort of case. And I'm sure yep, like any the, case would kind of ruin the whole aesthetic that they're going for. Yeah. The case on the iPad in front of me right now is probably the pretty much exact reason why they did this because yeah. this is a pretty popular case. And it just kind of uh, thickens the iPad up a lot and uh, makes the bezels look a little bit ridiculous because it has to wrap around and grab all the edges of the iPad. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm interested to kind of test out um, the palm rejection on this iPad since the bezels are so small. So I, I kind of want to go in and just hold one and mess around while kind of getting my palm in on the 
yeah, that's on true. the top of the screen. My experience with my palm rejection um, on my iPad Pro is that I basically just stop thinking about it. Like when I write, I set my wrist down on my iPad and just start writing. Um, and I've been pretty satisfied with that. Um, so after seeing these new iPads, I am glad that they are out. They're really pushing the iPad line forward. And hopefully this new push towards Pro gets more like a software development style applications on the app store yeah. that would allow me to do my like heavy workloads on my iPad. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, um, what you're really getting is a much nicer looking screen, which doesn't add much more functionality, just a bigger screen and a small body and the nicer Apple pencil that charges on the side. Yeah. And other than that, you're getting the USB-C port, um, which could have a pretty good use case if you can plug it in your camera directly. Yeah. But I know people who already do that with the current iPad, just with like lightning adapters. Mm-hmm. So I was really happy with this event, but it was nothing revolutionary. That makes me kind of dislike the iPad that's in front of me right now. And yeah. I'll definitely be fine just sticking with it. I do think it was the perfect one for them to release though, because if you were holding out on the iPad Pro waiting for a great new one, this is a great new iPad Pro. This is in my opinion, the best tablet that's been released yet. Yeah, it definitely looks the part. Um, I would recommend looking at a picture of this thing. Like, it is sleek. It's one of the most, like, beautifully beautifully designed devices that I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um, And it really just, like, feels like they're pushing computing in a big way. Yeah, and Apple killed bezels on their mobile devices. That was the last bezel remaining on uh, mobile devices that they sold, besides, like, the iPad and the iPad Mini. But I assume those will get a similar form factor to the iPad Pro. Yeah, eventually, as that like, as that stuff trickles down. Yeah. So I really think this is a revolutionary tablet in that it's insanely powerful. It's USB-C. It looks so good. Um, and it's something that I would be happy if I had been waiting for one, uh, for the event to get one. Um, but it's not like you can't get... Uh, an older iPad Pro and not be happy with it anymore. So I think it was it was a really good device for them to release. Yep, definitely makes me excited about the future of the iPad. All right, and then the final article I have for us today is, uh, it was reported today, uh, about an hour and a half ago, that Elon Musk is being sued by the SEC over his funding secured tweet. Yeah. So that was definitely a pretty special moment in 2018 when Elon Musk tweeted that he had secured funding to take Tesla private at $420. Uh, the internet wasn't really sure what to make of it. The stock market wasn't really sure what to make of it. The stock ended up jumping and turns out funding was not secured. And now of course he's under a lot of trouble because people made financial decisions based on his tweet. Yeah. And I mean, legally that's a valid way for him to disclose information to the public. Uh, there was actually a case about that a few years ago. So uh, he's probably in some pretty pretty deep water on this one. Yeah, they're suing him for securities fraud, and they want to bar him from ever holding office or director positions at a publicly traded company, and then <laughs> also pay damages. So that is bold. Uh, Elon Musk, you flew too close to the sun. Um, yeah, I guess if they, if uh, the only thing that would make it worse is if they showed that he sold off a bunch of his shares right when he drove the price up. Oh man, yeah. If he was uh, if he was trading in that time, that would just be awfully stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm sure this will play out for the next two years or so. Yeah, this doesn't strike me as something that uh, we're going to find out what happens next week, <laughs> unless he just decides to uh, settle, pay off, and 
get rid of his public board. Yeah, work. we'll see. First, some follow-up. Elon Musk is forced to uh, step down as the chairman of Tesla uh, in a settlement with the SEC, and that settlement comes along with a $20 million fine to him and a separate $20 million fine to the company. I personally feel like he made it out fairly clean on this one. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. We talked about this last week, um, and I believe I said, this will take a couple years, or they'll settle right away. And Yeah, I think out- I literally said, I don't think we'll know about this one next week, but I guess he did settle right away, so now we know. Yeah, I, I'm honestly kind of shocked. Uh, securities fraud is a pretty big thing, and a lot of people made a lot of bad financial decisions based off of that tweet that he had. So uh, him just having to pay $20 million, which is chump change for him, and... Just stepping down. He is only stepping down as chairman of Tesla as well. So he's still the CEO of Tesla. So he basically just won't be in charge of the board. Yeah, So and he still gets to keep his shares, from what I understand. Um, and he can't seek re-election for three years. But I'm pretty sure him and his partners own a majority stake in Tesla, so he could easily get his chairman position back in three years. Absolutely. The other thing about this law or settlement is that it doesn't prove that he's innocent or guilty, so there could still be a lot of follow-up lawsuits from people who made trades based on his tweet. So this probably isn't the end of this story, but it's the end of the SEC suing him. I mean, 2018 has definitely been a heck of a year for the guy. Like, it's been a total roller coaster. He's definitely been in the spotlight more than he ever has, but... Uh, with this last news of him getting the remain as the CEO, the stock price for Tesla actually went up, which was interesting. Uh, it seems like maybe the investors are still happy with him running the ship, and that's probably where a lot of the stock's value comes from, is still his ability to innovate and disrupt the electric car industry. For sure. One of the things that was kind of interesting about the whole fact that there was a settlement in a lawsuit was that we we got to see that uh, in certain aspects of this whole funding secured tweet, people didn't completely believe him. And uh, he did admit uh, later that the funding wasn't secured, which is why he got sued. But then he had also said he rounded up to $420 from 419 which is the actual figure he got, uh, to impress his girlfriend Grimes. <laughs> I remember seeing that. I think that's one of probably the best quotes of 2018 is him admitting that he rounded up from 419 to 420 to make a weed joke for his girlfriend, who's no longer dating. Yeah, that's... Uh, that is peak Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So first, uh, Facebook launched a new, uh, basically their version of the Echo Show. It's their first uh, in-home um, voice assistant product, and it looks a lot like the Echo Show. There's a big screen on it. Um, it's called the Portal, so face and it has a camera on the front, so you can basically uh, f- it, its primary purpose is FaceTime or Facebook video calling other Facebook users, um, and it has the Amazon Alexa assistant built into it as well. So the Portal and the Portal Plus, the Portal Plus is a uh, like a much bigger version of the Echo Show. It has a giant portrait screen, so it's like really built for uh, video calling. But it's interesting to see Facebook. I didn't expect them to be one of the companies that would get into the like home assistant market when it first started launching. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things is this is their first hardware project outside of companies that they own like Oculus. This is the first actual Facebook hardware project. And it's something that already exists. Um the this uh home screen like the show and now the google home hub which we'll talk about in our main segment today um i don't know 
I feel like nobody is going to say, hey, I want this sort of thing for my kitchen or my living room. And they're going to immediately think, oh, Facebook, that's where I need to get my hardware. Yeah, you have to be like really into the Facebook ecosystem to want this thing. Because I'm pretty sure the only video calling it supports is over the Facebook video calling service. Yeah, it does support Alexa, which is interesting. Uh-huh. Because uh, then you essentially just have an Echo show that only uses Facebook video chat. And yep. I don't know anybody who uses Facebook video chat. Uh-huh. And you can like you can still like play Spotify on it and a lot of the typical home assistant stuff. It's just the like hardline Facebook integration when it comes to video calling and uh, chatting and stuff. Yeah. What's interesting is this thing is really smart. It will follow you around the room. The camera will follow the subject of the video call. And if there are multiple people, it will keep everybody in the frame that it can. Um, and then it also has some security features where you just tap a button and it turns off the camera and microphone. Uh, so you don't have to worry about it being always on. Yeah. So there's a couple of interesting things that this product signals. So one is that they chose Amazon to partner with for the voice assistant. So, uh, we saw Samsung, I think last year, try to get in their own voice assistant game and they've since launched, uh, home uh home assistant product too much like this um so their strategy was just to make their own assistant bixby versus partnering with one of the big ones like google or amazon or apple and uh facebook chose amazon here which i thought was interesting because of amazon a lot of their strategies in the past have been making their services uh resellable to other companies like aws and stuff so it seems like they're kind of starting to do that same thing with alexa where they're making it software that can run on your product yeah. One thing that I really like is that the price of this really isn't ridiculous. It starts at $199, um, which is fine. Uh, then they have the Portal Plus, which starts at three, uh, $350. Yeah, um, which is the really good one. Which is pretty expensive, um, but if you are really engrossed in the Facebook ecosystem, I honestly can't say I know anybody who is because... Facebook doesn't have native hardware, which makes it kind of hard to truly build out your ecosystem. Yeah. But uh, definitely something I would check out at Best Buy. <laughs> yeah, I, we'll see if it even gets in stores, I guess. Uh, another big thing this makes me think about is we're seeing all of these. Uh, we have Facebook even, and now Amazon and Google as well with these in-home assistants with the screen on it. And we still haven't even seen any movement towards apple doing that themselves they have the home pod which has no screen you know they don't have like a home assistant that you could use to facetime uh to someone else's kitchen like all these other companies have been doing over the last year um and i really haven't seen any indication that they're trying to go in that direction either yeah i i think apple realizes that to be building smart home products they need a really smart assistant and I, I don't know if they are, but I have a feeling that they are really uh, overhauling Siri right now, which is why we haven't seen an update in yeah, a while. There's, there's definitely been some major talent shifting around from what I've heard in the Siri department. So I yeah. think it's, we're looking at a big, uh, big changes coming down the pipeline, hopefully. As somebody who's really into the Apple ecosystem, I would love for Siri to get great upgrades and get closer to Amazon, Alexa, or Google Home. Yeah, and our main story, the Google event today, we'll talk a lot about some of the big upgrades the Google Assistant's got, which are super cool, and a lot of it has just like made me super envious. Absolutely.
Last week we talked about the Facebook Portal device, their first native hardware device. Uh, they have companies they have acquired like Oculus and other companies, but this is the first Facebook hardware device. And um, I actually watched a really interesting video from Scott Galloway of L2 Inc. He's also a professor at NYU. and. I usually watch his videos to hear about uh, brand strategy, marketing, all that kind of stuff. And he was talking about how Facebook is the only company that needs to sell their always on camera with a cover because nobody really can trust Facebook. So we look at it and we say, oh, the Amazon Echo Show, it's right there. Um, it's an always on camera and nobody really bats an eye, but Facebook just automatically had to put a cover in because if it didn't would you really trust Facebook having a camera in your house all the time yeah he said it was a result of like user testing that that's one of the things users wanted was like hey like this Facebook thing I really want a camera on it and the way he phrased it was like that's really them just saying like oh this is a nice product but like I like f you Facebook like I want yeah. you, I do not want you to be able to have this permission so he saw it as like a big mark against the consumer sentiment around Facebook, which I mean, we've been talking about that on the show quite a bit. People are very down on Facebook right now, privacy-wise, and probably not the ideal time for them to be launching a product that's an always-on camera and microphone in your uh, kitchen or home, no matter how cool it is. So you you honestly kind of have to feel bad for the hardware engineers that worked on this thing. Absolutely. This it, is some of the coolest hardware I've seen. Yeah, if, if they were launching this product for Apple, I think we would all be amazed and people would be talking about how revolutionary it is that you can uh, be like tracked around the room while you're FaceTiming and not have to worry about standing directly in front of a device for the first time ever. And speaking of FaceTiming, FaceTime is a thing I use. Um, if Apple had made this, I may have actually gotten it. I don't have a HomePod because it's ridiculously expensive, yeah. and I'm sure <laughs> Apple would sell it for $500 if they made one of these show devices. But it's really, like, it, it, it's such a great ecosystem for Apple. Facebook doesn't have an ecosystem. Yep. So when you, all you have is security breaches and no eco, ecosystem, it's very difficult to trust you with always-on devices in my home. Yeah, as a, uh, as a tech person, you kind of hate to see cool tech go to waste like this, but I'm sure someone else will pick it up. I'm sure this sounds like some feature that Google would love to implement. Uh, oh, I'm absolutely some machine sure learning tracking, be. so. It, I, I would not be surprised to see it pop up in maybe the next Echo Show or something like that. Yep, I, I do not predict that this device is going to sell incredibly well unless there's some other country that uses FaceTime video more that I'm not thinking of, but... If I had to guess, we probably won't hear a lot about the the portal. Yeah. After the next couple. Interestingly, of weeks. I have been getting a lot of Hulu ads about it. Um, so they're they're marketing it very heavily. So. Yeah, I guess if there's one thing Facebook knows, it's online ads. So maybe they'll be able to get some sales yeah. out of that. Hey guys. Okay, so um, it's me, Jacob, here with Andre hey. and Derek Marr from Pathrise. Hi. How's it going? We're doing good. So um, Derek Marr is someone who I met actually over the summer um, when I was kind of looking at my different options for internships next summer. Um, and that's because he has started a cool company, co-founder of a company called Pathrise that is kind of like um, an accelerator, but for students who are trying to find their uh, college tech internship. So um, I thought he would be a really good guest to have on the podcast. Um because he kind of covers startups, he covers technology, and he covers students. So um, I'm happy to have you here, Derek. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here as well. 
Yeah. So um, do you want to kind of give us a little walkthrough of your career after graduating college, like where you went um, and what your experience has been like? Yeah, I guess um, after graduating college, I, I went directly uh, into into Facebook. Um, and I guess um, happy to talk about a little bit about sort of like the return offer type of experience, which is when I when I, when I you know my my senior year I interned at at Facebook as well. Um, so uh, directly went in there. Um, I uh, decided to join a team called uh, the. Uh, it, they're called like the Percepticons. It's a, sort of a code name for like an experimental, like prototype uh, web VR uh, focused team. Um, so I went there um, and uh, sort of in that team, uh, uh, we realized that, um, you know, these 3D objects that were sort of attracts for like these web, web VR experiences that we we're trying to um, create in in, in Facebook um, uh, was was actually something that could be its own team in itself. Like this idea of um, sharing uh, and and sort of uh, um, consuming and and sharing this entire ecosystem of of three D assets. So like similar to photos, except like three D three D objects. Um, so for example, imagine you're like in virtual reality and like you sculpt like a three D Iron Man, and then you want to share that to your friends on Facebook. Uh, so you click share, um, all the technical challenges with, you know, rendering that, storing it, compressing it, et cetera, so that your friends can see that um, in, in the newsfeed um, and like zoom in and zoom out and the object animates in 3D, like the Iron Man sort of like firing off. It's like, you know, um, I don't know, some sort of like, uh, you know, um, sort of weapon. Uh, so. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I was one of the founding engineers on that team. Uh, we started it with an artist and a couple of other engineers out of that sort of prototype web VR team. Uh, and um, I worked everything from uh, like from the back end to Android to front end, you know, being on a small team uh, at Facebook uh, and, and uh, one of the founding engineers, you kind of have to build the product from scratch. And then from there, um, try to attract other engineers to join your team. So very much like actually like a startup within a large company. Um, you know, um, uh, when I was I worked there for you know a little more than a year, and, and during that time, uh, you know, uh, I uh, was very much in contact with Kevin, who is um, uh, my other co-founder at Pathrise. Uh, we knew each other back from from college, and we're very good friends. And happy to go into more detail of how, like, you know, the, the vision of Pathrise and the idea came up, came about. But that's when we revisited uh, about like starting uh, Pathrise, and um, yeah, from there I decided to make the jump, um, and um, now I'm I'm here at Pathrise. Yeah. So basically, uh, I started. So it's called Minority Wealth Management, um, and originally. Uh, it was a YouTube channel. We haven't put out a YouTube channel in a while because we've been focusing on Instagram. Um, we found that a lot of um, people in our target market have been on Instagram. So we kind of doubled down on that strategy. And um, at first we had more uh, subscribers on YouTube, but now we have about four times as many uh, followers on Instagram as we do subscribers. So we've just been you know, going hard on the Instagram strategy. And basically what Minority Wealth um, is here to do is redefine wealth for the minority community. So not only am I interested in tech, but I'm heavily interested in personal finance, really passionate about that. And after looking at the numbers, um, you know, median net worth of a minority household is about $16,000 compared to, I think it's $160,000 of a white household. And 
you know, that's numbers are shocking. It's like 10 times the amount. And not only is it, you know, there, is there that gap, but um, the gap is widening. And in the sense that we are like that net worth is tending towards zero. So our like over they, they project that by uh, 2050, uh, the median net worth of a minority household will be zero dollars. Um, and so that like I, I don't like to hear that and I don't look forward to a future like that. So I'm trying to work um, as hard as I can to see where I can use the knowledge I have, the resources I have to uh, um, help that problem. And what we've been doing so far is making educational videos. So like I said, we're on Instagram. We make a lot of educational videos about saving, about investing, um, about career development, because career development is actually very important because if I can tell you how to save, but if you don't have a job to <laughs> that gives you money to save in the first place, then um, there's really no point of uh, me being there and teaching you financial literacy. So we're, I mean, we're, it's, we're, we're, um, we're learning, I think is something that I definitely um, take from this experience. Like it's a learning process and we've been doing it for almost a year now. And I think we are, truly understanding what product we are bringing to market and i'm excited for what 2019 has to hold yeah that's really awesome um there is definitely an underrepresentation of so many groups um in technology uh we both worked at google mm -hmm. google is a pretty inclusive company but we could still notice it's it's more white than it probably should be yeah um, and it's more male dominated than it probably should be right so uh what like, what are your kind of end goals? Um, maybe not even an end goal, but like, what are you really trying to push for? Like, what's the biggest uh, pull for you uh, on running Minority Wealth? Um, I really, I think it, at, uh, in simple terms, in the simplest, the simplest terms I can think of, like, I just think there's this gap of uh opportunity like a gap of knowledge between you know someone like myself who is able who's privileged enough to you know be at cornell internet google um and you know have all these opportunities kind of laid out for him um as opposed to someone who is you know grows in a grows up in a low-income community doesn't really go to a good high school may not cannot you know may not be able to afford college so has to go to a community college and, I, and obviously community colleges aren't bad but it's just i think there's this this disconnect with the the um i don't know the latest and greatest in terms of technology in terms of the economy that i kind of want to bridge like i want to bridge that gap because i think that it's all a mat like it's it, like the it, living in the information age like there's so much available to us and i think what i've noticed is that simple things like you know what is slack or you know how do we use Dropbox effectively? Or um, I don't know that, you know, listening to podcasts and how those are growing. Like there's a disconnect between uh, the general uh, minority community and these newer advancements uh, in our economy and in technology. And I can't really just want to bridge that gap. And obviously I also am focused on the personal finance aspect and like making sure people are managing their money right. But I think that like it all starts with us being a part of the broader economy, right? I think I was reading some stat uh, the other day talking about um, how uh, like the the low the low skilled jobs that are going to be replaced by 
um, like robots and you know autonomous systems in the future are predominantly uh, populated by uh, communities of color. So, you know, if if we don't understand like these this the reality of our situation and and understand that like we have to figure out what our craft is and how can we bring that to the market as opposed to just going to a job to make money um then i think you know it's the future's not going to look so bright for us and i really like that's the ultimate goal for minority wealth to just increase our participation in the greater economy and like not only have people managing their money right but exploring you know all the possible career opportunities for themselves Okay, and we're back. One more thing before I get to go home, we're going to talk about our main topic. Uh, We kind of framed it as a bit of a mystery, um, and it's something I've personally been uh, waiting for things to line up so we could talk about it for a while now. It is our summers. Yes, I am so excited to talk about this. So um, me and Andre are happy to announce that the show will continue in person over the summer because we're both going to Seattle, although we will be working for different companies. Yes, I will be at Google in the Fremont office, which is kind of closer to downtown Seattle than the Kirkland office, which is a bit bigger, but uh, I have been to the Fremont office before. It's awesome. So I'll be living in downtown Seattle and Jacob will be at Zillow. Yeah, so I'll be at Zillow, which is in the heart of downtown Seattle. Um, So... When I went to uh, interview on site, um, the way I describe its location is if you are standing in their lobby and you look out towards the bay and you look down into the right, like down the height of the building, that is the sign for Pikes Place Market down into the right. So it's kind of like right in the heart of a lot of the cool, like touristy area, um, a lot of cool restaurants around it. And then... Um, my, one of my personal favorite parts about the job is if you look down into the left, it's the apartment that they're paying for for me. For the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, we both have pretty sweet gigs um, and I think we're both going to meet a lot of cool people out there. Yes. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to bring some people in for interviews. Yeah. Well. Uh, hopefully a lot of cool people will be able to bring onto the show. So yeah. Um, Andre, do you want to talk a little bit about um, maybe your process for um, getting a return offer from Google to um, selecting your team and kind of like getting the city you wanted to be in and then what team you're going to be at in Seattle? Yeah, so uh, last year I was an engineering practicum intern at Google and I'm going to be doing the same thing this coming summer but in Seattle. So essentially throughout my internship last summer, they told us, okay, you'll be eligible to come back as an EP or a SWE intern will review everything and then we'll tell you what we want to do there were a few options where you could interview for one of the positions or they could just offer you one of the positions so i ended up getting a call um actually like 20 minutes before i was going to do another technical interview saying hey you got this return offer we're not going to interview you so i canceled my other deep interview. <laughs> yeah so i was like okay i'll take it and i immediately accepted so um i shouldn't say immediately i waited a few days to hear back from a couple different companies that uh for some reason, didn't get back to me, but uh, we'll not go into that. So, yes, I will be going back to Google, and I knew that, but I didn't know where I was going to go. And then Jacob found out he was going to Zillow, and he was going to be in Seattle, mm-hmm. and I actually had Seattle on my list because I've done this before, so I, I was a little less worried about getting out to the Bay and spending time in Mountain View at headquarters because I've done that already. So I still had I had that on my list, but I also had New York, Seattle, um, and Austin for a bit in Boston as well. I took Austin and Boston off uh, and it was pretty much down to New York or Seattle, but I still had Mountain View on there. And then they emailed me and they're like, Hey, there's a team that wants to talk to you from Mountain View. 
And uh, I was like, well, you know what? At this point, I think I just want to go to Seattle because I have a ton of friends that are going to be in Seattle. I really love the city of Seattle. So I said, uh, how about no? And they're like, okay, cool. So I actually got to say, okay, can I really hard preference Seattle? And about a week later, they're like, here's a team from Seattle. Uh, that was right before Thanksgiving. So uh, I interviewed with that team. And about two weeks after that, which was a couple weeks ago now, uh, I got confirmation that I'm going to join the Google Maps mobile team for Android. So I'll be working on Android development again. That's what I did last nice. summer. But this time I'll be working on the actual Google Maps app, doing some UI bug fixes as well. Basically just working on user-facing bugs and uh, user-facing stuff, which is really awesome. Yeah, so, th I mean, theoretically, you should be able to, like, um, have, like, a before GIF of, like, here's this bug before and yeah. after, like, on real Android, like, something yes. you fixed and something that, I mean, I, tens of millions of people use, yeah. like, something that you fixed in that application. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, so what I was doing last year was a pretty specific settings thing, but it was, like, completely built up on my own, so it was awesome being, like, here's what the normal one looks like, and I'd take a screen recording and make a GIF of that, and then I took a screen recording of how my new feature works. Uh, I don't have an Android, so I don't actually know if my feature's been released yet, <laughs> but uh, I could essentially uh, go through and screen record and show how everything works, so it'll be awesome working on Google Maps, even if it's, like, smaller fixes that not everybody sees, but I, it, it's just like fulfilling for me to be able to, uh, help the, like the UI flow of how everybody uses it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the cool things you mentioned is like all the friends that we're going to have in Seattle. Yes. So like, even just in our program, there's like a pretty strong tie to Microsoft. So we know a ton of people who are going to be out in Redmond, which is like a quick, uh, quick drive out from downtown. Um, and then even on top of that, um, your roommate right yes. now um, is actually going to be living with me over the summer, mm -hmm. um, which is really exciting. Uh, oh, he made our intro, actually, Ben Stewart. Yes, he, he did make our intro music and our background ad music, too. Yeah, so maybe we can uh, record some new jams while we're out there over yeah. the summer. But yeah, I'll be living with Ben Stewart um, and another friend of ours, uh, Shang Jae. So um, that'll be really cool. Um, and in addition, like I think there's 35 Zillow interns total that uh, will be in my building. So it's like having that group, having you out there, having all the uh, people out in Redmond. Um, it's just going to be like hopefully a really cool time where we can uh, like go out, explore the mountains, explore all the cool places to eat. Yeah. Um, the food in Seattle is incredible. Yeah, spend some of our uh, our uh, luxurious salaries. Yes. <laughs> Drive up to Canada, that sort yes. of thing. Yes, go into Vancouver, eat some Chinese food. That's how you spend your weekend. So have you learned what team you're going to be on? So, um, my team selection actually doesn't take place, I think, until, like, March. Oh, man. So, I have a while until I figure out specifically what I'll be doing. Um, but, I mean, in general, um, I'm assuming I'll be on some sort of a uh, interface uh, component of some web application, because that's kind of what I said, is that I like the experience side of things more. Um, but if I have the opportunity to work on, like, an iOS app, I'll probably take that, just because I've been dabbling in uh, some Swift lately, and kind of miss working in that but yeah so i'll figure out that later but i mean i kind of like to dive into i guess first i'll explain what zillow is um yes. and then i think part of my like process of how i got here can be enlightening for people hopefully so um uh zillow uh the main thing that i knew it for before i um applied was that it's the site where you can go to look up how much houses are worth but basically, like, they're the tech company for retail information, um, and they do 
basically everything in the retail process from like uh, digitizing the paperwork that goes along with it to like staging our house. Um, and now they're kind of also moving or they do mortgages and they also are moving into uh, um, the like doing a lot of the stuff themselves, so, like using all the data that they have. Like they basically um, I guess it's a finance analogy, but they kind of have their own like prop trading firm, I call it, where they're launching a division that will using the data they have uh, buy and refurnish houses themselves and then resell them for a profit, huh. which I thought was crazy. Yeah. So um, it's not like an industry that I've like grown up being passionate about, but the thing that excited me the most was like um, the office and the area and the people I met while I was there because everyone, um, similar to the people I talked to before I worked at SIBO last summer, everyone seemed pretty solid. They seemed like they're um, friendly with all their coworkers, like they actually hang out and that sort of thing. Um, and then on top of that, uh, one of the things that I think is cool as an intern um, is that they really uh, place a value even on their interns of only working a normal amount of week, like work-life yeah. balance. So if I'm going to be in Seattle this summer, a place I've never been for more than five days, I would like to kind of get the full experience of living there, see all the cool things I can in the three months. Yeah. I don't want to be working 80 hours a week like I would be at Amazon. You know, like I've heard horror stories of a lot of companies overworking interns and like just basically giving them limited hours to do the work so you can impress your manager. Yeah. Um, but they kind of like encourage like a hard cap of like, you know, you leave at five, that sort of thing. So giving plenty of time to like um, pursue my own things while I'm out there, uh, which should be awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I've spent... Three weeks was the most amount of time I've spent in Seattle, and I didn't even get to experience a sliver of yeah. it. So I'm super excited for three months out in Seattle. Uh, it's going to be great. When my family was actually selling our house right after my graduation, our real estate agent told us to put everything up on Zillow. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. I mean, I, I've known of Zillow for a while. Uh, I'm sure there are people who haven't heard of it, but they are like a huge company. Yeah. So um, kind of in contrast to your... Um, process of getting a return offer like I was kind of starting from scratch again this year trying to find the new place to work um and it sounds like I have this sweet gig um and it all worked out super great um and it did but uh like what a lot of people don't realize is how close I was to really not having anything at this yeah. moment so like if you I I kept a an air table of like all of the uh, places I applied and, like, even just in these last two weeks, I've probably gotten, like, 20 more rejections. Um, so if you look at places that I got an interview, so, like, I applied to probably about 100 places. I got interviews at maybe, I interviewed, like, including just, like, screening interviews um, at maybe, like, six or seven. I did an on-site interview at one, which was Zillow. <laughs> yeah. And I got the job at one, which was yeah. Zillow. So it's like I maybe could have returned to SIBO, but I wanted something new this year. So it was, like, really... Um, I just kind of applied as broadly as I could and hoped something worked out. Um, and what ended up working out was Zillow, not because I feel like not because I just got lucky applying online and got noticed. It was because Zillow has an office in Lincoln. So I was able to talk to someone in yeah. person to kind of get myself into the system versus applying online. Yeah. I think that if you maybe haven't worked at Google, if you're maybe not from one of the top tech schools, it's pretty difficult even at like a mid-sized company to get your resume noticed and even to get a screening interview. Yeah. Uh, so last year I got, I applied to four companies, probably not enough if I wanted an internship. I just got lucky because I had had some previous experience with Google. 
Um, I was rejected from two local companies after interviews. I had a phone screen with Microsoft uh, and then was not invited out to Seattle to interview. And then I had my interview with Google, uh, which went really well, and then I was able to intern there. But while I was out in the Bay, I actually went to an Apple event, and I handed my resume out to probably about a dozen recruiters, and I never heard a thing mm-hmm. from the rest of them. I had Google on my resume uh, twice, and they still didn't talk to me, and I don't know if that's because we're not from what is considered a traditional tech school, yeah. um, if they weren't interested in my skill level or my skill set. Uh, or what I had said, but it's definitely very difficult. So being able to know people is the key. Yeah. And even the places where I did get like a, a decent referral, um, I still didn't hear back from a lot of those. So it really is a very tough process, you know, for a lot of students like ourselves who maybe like aren't at MIT or at Stanford or that sort of thing to get into these tech companies. Um, and I really feel like I made it with um, it was partially like interviewing. Once I got there, I did well in the interview, but getting that interview in and of itself just required, um, certain things to happen. Like by chance that a company like Zillow acquired a company in Lincoln so that Zillow recruiters were at our career fair. Um, and I was like, like exploring all the options I could at our career fair. Cause I was just like trying to see what was out there. Zillow at the career fair was like one of the only companies that had an office in San Francisco, which got me interested in them. But I think one of the biggest things was just like every week I was looking for more companies. Every time there was an opportunity, it's like constantly seeing which companies like align with the goals that I'm trying to get. So it wasn't easy. It wasn't just like, oh, I'll apply to the big five tech companies, get interviews with them, kill the interviews. It's like I got an interview with Microsoft and Facebook and I got murdered on (laughs) the first stages of both of those interviews. And then when it came to Zillow, my first stage of the interview was super personal and they just kind of like, um, asked, like I, we took it in a product design direction. I didn't even write any code. I just talked about like how I would design a system because I had a, a, like a more local connection to the guy who was interviewing me. And then that got me out to the final stage of a technical interview and the interview ended up being easy enough for me to handle. So there's just a lot of factors that went into like me landing a job like this. And I think that if there's anything you can take away from it, it's that, um, first of all, randomly throwing your resume out there, unless there's something that really makes it stick out has uh, virtually like zero return value. Um, connections help you a certain amount. Um, but at the end of the day, you just kind of have to be open to the opportunities that are like local to you, the opportunities that are around you and yeah. just kind of, constantly be pursuing those until you get your goal yeah if you have a story about how you got your internship maybe how you didn't get an internship any sort of interview process that you think super interesting we might be willing to share it so you can send that to us at hackerslackerpod at gmail.com or uh, hit us up at hackerspod on twitter uh yeah so the the idea of getting an internship this early is kind of in our program, at least, it's pretty hard set that everybody tries to get an internship yeah. immediately after their freshman year, and if not, definitely after your sophomore year. Uh, so most of the people we hang around with every day have had good paying technical internships at when they were 18 or 19. Right yeah, after for sure. And year. like most of our cohort interviewed with Microsoft. Like, yes. So it's, it's an interesting environment to be in, for sure. Like it's not typical where... Um, it's not really asking people like, 
if they interviewed with Microsoft, it's asking people how they did on their interview with Microsoft. And if they're flying out to Redmond, it's like, oh, most people are flying out to Redmond. That's a weird feeling, you know? So it's definitely um, like an interesting place to be. uh, But I feel like it's probably pushed me to be more successful. Um, And the advantage that I had getting that first internship freshman year, like at a more local company, was Mm -hmm. definitely huge. Um, But making that jump to getting a big internship out of state was still difficult for sure. 